Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. Uh, with me this week as our co-host is Nicole Ortiz, our uh, editor who oversees the uh, opinion submissions and voice uh, contributions to Adweek. And it is always a pleasure to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me again. And we've got quite a lot to talk about because I don't know if anyone's heard about this thing coming up called the Super Bowl. That <laughs> seems to just like it's like I always get all relaxed after the holiday, you know, and then and then I come back in and remember, oh, crap, like our our universe goes <laughs> into looming. <laughs> yeah, it's like hyperdrive the second we get back because everything <laughs> like I think brands hold off on any real announcements until after. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and with us to talk about the Super Bowl, uh, we've got Diana Pearl, Deputy Brands Editor here at Adweek and uh, kind of the uh, overseer of all of our uh, Super Bowl coverage and our Super Bowl ad tracker. Diana, thanks so much for making time for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to, man, we got a lot to talk about. After after we get through some Super Bowl updates, we're going to be talking to Patrick Culp, our colleague uh, here who covers emerging technology, who's going to tell us about uh, some really fascinating coverage he's been doing on kind of how the rise and stall of block chain and why that has not uh, kind of how that went from being like the hottest topic in tech to being something where people are like, I guess it's still happening. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so Patrick's going to catch us up on that. And one of my favorite projects we've ever done here at Adweek, a, we made a bot and we love it. It is my it is my newest child. <laughs> and so uh, Patrick, who also was instrumental in that, will be talking about that as well. But for now, let's get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, so we're seeing quite a lot with our Super Bowl so far. Um, like Reiner was saying, after the holidays is when brands really start releasing their teasers and announcing if they will or won't be in the big game this year. And this is the first year, I believe, that we've ever seen Fox Sports sell out the entire in-game inventory, and 30-second spots went for $5.6 And Diana, you said you're seeing a lot more brands doing 60-second ads this year, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a trend that I started noticing at the end of last year, and it's only continued into the new year. Um, a few of the brands doing 60-second ads are Facebook, New York Life, 
Um, Coca-Cola, both uh, Donald Trump and Michael Bloomberg are running 60-second ads. It seems to be a big trend, and that obviously means that these brands and uh, people or political campaigns are not spending 5.6. They're spending um, over that, so double, since that's their going rate for a 30-second ad. So that's about $11 million, which is a huge investment, um, you know, particularly for a political campaign political campaign or for a brand um, to make on one piece of advertising. It also means that there'll be fewer spots in the game in general. Um, you know, there's a limited amount of airtime. And if more brands are taking up more time for longer spots, that means we'll see see less brands in general advertising in the Super Bowl. So I'm curious to see um, how that plays out. And, you know, with more time to sort of say what they have to say, uh, brands have a lot of opportunity to talk and really connect with an audience. So curious to see how that that plays out. Yeah. Do you do you do you two think that like uh, that sixty second spots are more memorable? Like the, like the one I keep thinking of last year where it felt like a sixty, but I think it was only forty five. Was the Burger King? You know, Andy Warhol eating mm-hmm, a burger. Mm-hmm. But I think it was just the lack of audio on that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just yeah. such a Spartan <clears throat> and such a confusing ad that it felt. It felt very long, and I think whenever you just have a quiet ad, it feels like it goes on longer. But that, I mean, that was forty-five. I mean, do you guys think that that sixties are just more memorable? I I don't think so. I think it really depends what you do with it. You know, you can have an ad that makes a big impact in thirty seconds. You can have an ad that doesn't manage to say much in sixty. Um, you know, it's really doing the most with the time that you have. Um, you know, even with sixty seconds, it's still not that long. Um, of a amount of time to really like grip people and and get their eyeballs. So, I don't know. I think we'll see interesting 60 second ads and we might see ones that bore us a little, but we might see ones that really move us. Um, you know, I'm curious to see how it plays out, but I don't think it's, you know, a guaranteed if it's 60 seconds it's going to be great and compelling. Yeah, and I I kind of agree with that. And I feel like that's also banking on having wrapped audiences through the commercials too. Like a 30-second spot, it's quicker, and that's often when people go to the bathroom, they get their snack refills and everything. So that if there's a quick add-on, then people might see it out of the corner of their eye and be like, oh, great, yeah, there's a new whatever ad happening. But 60 seconds, like, you're kind of asking people to take that break and, like, extend it uh, by watching the ad. And I just – I don't know if that's going to play out necessarily. Like Diana said, it there might be a lot of, like, more boring ones or maybe – there's really interesting ones. I think we'll see a mix like we would with anything. Which spots do you two remember from last year? It, it was not one of my favorite Super Bowls in terms of like notable ads because <laughs> Tide did not come back, you know, after doing the mm-hmm. Tide ad stuff. And, and that, that previous year had been such a good one. Uh, and then I don't I, like before I talk about the one or two I think about and we talked about Burger King, but which ones do you two actually remember? Bud Night for sure was a huge one. Um, I really like that Burger King Andy Warhol ad. I thought it was fun and, you know, a great use of footage that the brand just had at its disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think with other ones. The Olay ad, it was their first time advertising in the Super Bowl, um, and it was a horror theme spot, which you just don't usually see. Um, Washington Post, I liked that one yeah, a lot. That, that was, was really good. interesting to see. Uh, Robo Child was upsetting and scarring. Yeah. So I can't forget that because it haunts my dreams. Um, <laughs> I still love that Minda, our <laughs> colleague, named it one of her ads of the year. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> when we did our when we did our best ads of the year episode, we all just sat here in stunned silence. <laughs> it is definitely memorable, but I don't know if it's in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a. It was a, a creative choice <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, well, and that one was from Wyden and Kennedy, uh, which also made uh, the the Bud Bud Light uh, Game of Thrones crossover mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Which is kind of funny that we refer to it as the Bud Knight ad when it's you know it's really a Game of Thrones ad. But I think what what everyone remembers is the Bud Knight literally getting murdered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when he, like the production values on that were great. It was a great spot. It was fun. But it just was a surprise. And that's what the Super Bowl doesn't have anymore, right? Yeah. Like in this era of everything being released. And, and I mean, we're a little more jaded maybe than the average you know, human being. This because we see every ad in advance and we watch them all. But I mean, it was just nice to have something that was a surprise on every level. I mean, I was I was literally screaming just as that thing, you know, unspooled mm-hmm. and and none of us had any idea that was coming. And it was just such a great bait and switch because they had already made you sit through all these like Bud Light ads about corn sugar. Yeah, or, you right. Know, corn syrup. Mm-hmm. The corn syrup. <laughs> corn syrup. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That was memorable because yeah. considering it so, lasted for months afterwards. Yeah. That was the more memorable part is that they really spun it out into a thing yeah. after the Super Bowl. And so speaking of the the Anheuser-Buschers of the world, uh, who are the who are the big ones coming back, Diana? Um, well, Anheuser-Busch is one they just announced this week, um, or I guess now last week. Uh, their plans, they're also doing 60-second ads. Um, they're Instead of doing, last year they did like a bunch of 30s, maybe 160. It was like over five minutes of, of ad time. This year they're doing four 60-second ads. Um, you know, each focusing on a different one of their products, one of which is going to be Bud Light Seltzer. So they're getting on the spiked seltzer train. Um, another one that's back is Coca-Cola. They took a break last year, but they're back also with a 60-second spot. Um, TurboTax will be coming back. Toyota, Snickers, Mountain Dew. So it's definitely a lot of um, returning players. But then there's some new players, too. Facebook is going to be advertising for the first time. Um, New York Life, the uh, insurance company, will be advertising for the first time. Both of those have 60-second uh, spots. So, yeah, lots of players, new and old. Let's talk a little bit about the political ones because I'm curious what you two think of those. I, it, The Bloomberg one almost makes more sense than the Trump one, mm-hmm. like in the sense that it, this is a Bloomberg Hail Mary uh, uh, and it's actually quite late. I mean, it's obviously very quite, very late in the Democratic primary process. But what do you two think of the strategy behind those two of, of the Trump campaign having a, a, an ad in the Super Bowl and then the Bloomberg, you know, in the very other end of kind of someone who's not even polling, I think, in the top five no. uh, of his candidates? So what do you two think of those? Yeah, I mean, Bloomberg got into the game fairly late and his method and strategy seems to be just throwing money at (laughs) (laughs) television advertising so you know when when i heard how i don't remember the exact number but he's spending millions and millions on digital or sorry television advertising more than you know so many of his uh, fellow candidates combined i sort of figured he'd be doing a super bowl ad obviously he has the financial resources to do it and this seems to be the advertising method that he is really banking on. Um, I agree that Trump felt a little less like a sure thing, but I guess he also has the financial resources to um, to fund this endeavor. So and he definitely likes to make a splash and, you know, be loud and be known. So it's not the craziest platform for him. But I think it's interesting that and not surprising that if there were any two candidates who were going to do this, it was those two. Yeah, I agree. I I kind of figured with Bloomberg that he was going to do a Super Bowl ad also. I think he spent like $31 million on TV advertising for this, which 
again, is strange because he did get into it so late. And I guess it is kind of like a Hail Mary toss for him where he's putting like lots of resources into TV. And I, I wasn't surprised that Trump is going to run one. I mean, I think like, uh, I don't know. He he had, Didn't he do a bunch of uh, TV ads leading up to the 2016 election also? So I think like Super Bowl makes sense for him. I think like it's on Fox, like there's a Fox franchise in it. So maybe he's just hoping it'll be more of an audience that he can connect with. Yeah, and I, and I think like when when I see this, I live in Alabama, and so I see this a lot when you're in a, a Republican primary, uh, especially or just you know primaries, which around here are Republican primaries. Um, but the you know you really see mainstream TV is just blitzed, you know, like every ad break. And meanwhile, like I I kind of live in this world where we mostly see Democrat ads, right? Because they're much more focused on digital. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just interesting to me that like when I go to my parents' house or something and and see what's on TV, uh, and you really knows the split. So in, in that sense, I think it makes really sense. Uh, you know, makes a lot of sense that that if Trump wants to really hit that base, uh, the Super Bowl, you know, is is the biggest place you can do that. Yeah. That they're just all about like getting that getting the mass numbers of you know and, and rallying that crowd. Uh, Bloomberg, you know, I don't know. It got me wishing that there was an Andrew Yang uh, ad. Like that's the one candidate I, th- I would like, kind of like, love to see what he would do with a uh, Super Bowl ad, just because like his platform is so different from every other candidate. Uh, you know, where it's like about automation and about you know we can't let uh, semis go fully automated without a plan for what to do with all the truck drivers. And you know, he has like policies on. Like the freelance, how how MMA fighters should be allowed to be freelancers, and I mean, it's like he has these like w- when you look at all the different candidates out there, uh, Yang is the one where I was like, that would be a really fun Super Bowl ad, and you know, and I'm not necessarily praising him or or making fun of him. It's just one where I was like, that would be neat, and Bloomberg, you know, too. I I have no idea because he's just not been part of the conversation. Uh, he barely, I think, he eked onto the ballot in my state by like w- one or two days. Like he got, <laughs> he yeah. got in, like Indiana Jones grabbing his hat from under the 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 falling door. You know, <laughs> just like snuck in at the last second and made it on the ballot. But um, but yeah, well, it'll, it'll be very fascinating. Any any, uh, you may have mentioned some of these, but any uh, big new players that uh, that you're interested to see, Diana? Yeah, I mean, I think Facebook is the biggest of the first timers that I'm curious to see. You know, they obviously just haven't done in their. Comp- history. They haven't done a lot of traditional advertising, let alone um, television advertising. They've you know, started ramping up more in the past few years, especially as their reputation's taken a bit of a hit. Um, their spot is supposed to be um, is going to be centered around Facebook groups, which they have had a campaign going around Facebook groups. And I feel like a lot of people talk about Facebook groups as one of the like um, you know most positive things about the platform. It really is a place for people to come together with people they might not have met otherwise, but they share interests with. So um, I'm not surprised that they're focusing on this sort of bright spot for them um, in their Super Bowl ad. And it's going to be Sylvester Stallone on the Rocky Steps. He shared an Instagram video from the from the set. So that's about all we know right now. Um, and then New York Life, they're celebrating, I believe it's their 175th anniversary. Um, and so they're advertising in the Super Bowl. It's not for the first time ever, but they haven't advertised in the Super Bowl for like 30 years or 25 years, some very long time. Um, so they're kind of a first-timer, first-timer in this uh, century, I believe, So or this millennium even. Um, 
so yeah, I think that that will be an interesting one to see um, what they do, and especially this is this spot is going to kick off a year long campaign for them to celebrate that big anniversary. I, I thought it was funny, by the way, that TD Ameritrade just made an ad, not a Super Bowl ad, but they just made an ad that's an homage to Rocky. It's like a hmm. it's a training montage, and at the end, it's he's like punching beef or you know, there's like all these things, something about learning how to be a trade trader. But then uh, at the end, he runs past Dolph Lundgren, who played. Uh, what what Ivan uh, Ivan Drago or whatever uh, the bad guy in Rocky Four, um, but uh, I thought I was like, wow, there's just I, I mean probably just a nostalgia thing. I don't know. There's just something about Rocky. Advertisers love going back to that. I think they just love the song. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's got those vibes of like working hard and success, and you can do it, yeah. and I will persevere. And new decade, new you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the yeah, it's an interesting mix of, of brands this year, and I'll, I'll just you know we're on the eve of seeing what the creative actually looks like. Um, but uh, you know, it's seeming like it's going to be kind of your usual mix of celebrity cameos. Any, anything, any trends that you're seeing, Diana, or, or predicting at least, just on the sense of of theme. I mean, some years are more political than others. Uh, What are you expecting this year to actually hear tonally from from these brands? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still really figuring out. um, It's mostly right now brands just announcing if they're in the game or not. So we don't know a ton about creative details. My personal gut feeling is that it's going to be a little more political this year. It's an election year. Um, You know, they're just there's two political candidates advertising in the Super Bowl. It just feels like even if it's not political, this is the year that brands are going to make a statement. So it's less going to be about maybe product and more about what the brand stands for. This just seems like the year for it. But I could be totally off base, but that is my gut feeling. Nicole, any uh, predictions from you on what we'll see thematically this year? Um, honestly, I I kind of feel like it's the same thing where people are trying to focus on, like, the positive, um, like what we were saying with Facebook before, where there have been some negative things and like CCPA just went live in the beginning of the year and they're not going to talk about data and privacy. They're going to talk about their great features and they're going to try to like reinstill trust, um, highlight brand values and try to relate with people on that level of like, hey, we see these things happening in the world and we agree that like maybe this is bad and we want to align ourselves with this sort of value. Do you like that value, consumers? Come find us if you do. Yeah, and it'll be like, and then Coca Cola will be in there like they always are, just like, people should like each other <laughs> and be friendly. And it's like, it's just that they're like the kindergarten teacher of brands yeah. that always shows up. And it's like, so, okay, uh, <laughs> thank you. And I mean, to their credit, they do, you know, they'll, they'll feature someone in a hijab and they, they will, you know, I, I, I shouldn't <laughs> downplay uh, because Coca Cola, you know, they don't. They don't completely avoid that, but they don't go full Airbnb and be like, don't be racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. So it's, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. It's like every year we, we kind of wonder going into it is how many divisive ads, how many are, like, are really going to set people off at parties and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, on Twitter. And, and, and I'm curious this year, I don't really have any predictions on this front, but I am curious to see if or how brands leverage TikTok. I think from a platform perspective, really nothing has come along in years uh, that's anywhere close to TikTok. Uh, and so I, I'm i starting to get the feeling like maybe it's a little late and the brands will just kind of sit it out, which is probably for the best if you like using TikTok. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just seems like when Instagram really f- went mainstream, that was when we saw brands kind of descending onto it as part of their Super Bowl buy. But mm-hmm. other than that, 
We shall we shall see. Well, Diana Pearl, thank you so much, and I encourage everyone to check out your Super Bowl ad tracker. You can just Google Adweek Super Bowl ad tracker. You will find it. Um, but check out all of the coverage from Diana and her team on adweek.com. Thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we're back, we will talk blockchain and bots, and not it won't be a boring conversation. I promise you this is going to be the most fun blockchain and bot conversation <laughs> you've ever heard on an advertising-centric podcast. We'll be back in just a second. All right, we're back. We've got Patrick Culp, uh, staff writer here at Adweek covering emerging technology. Patrick, great to have you back. Hey, great to be here. We have a lot to talk to you about. Uh, You, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, you wrote uh, our recent cover story on the rise and stall of blockchain, uh, which is is fascinating for me as someone who's always kind of been very much on the periphery of blockchain. Uh, And so we will talk about kind of what are some of the factors in there and why some people are still bullish on it. And but by the numbers, it certainly did not have its best year ever in 2019. But first, I want to talk about Super Bowl bot. Uh, Patrick, tell us what is the Adweek Super Bowl bot? So the Adweek Super Bowl bot is a, a pretty advanced form, uh, a pretty advanced model of language generation AI that we trained on uh, about 3,000 Super Bowl ad descriptions to pitch its own ads. And the ones it's uh, produced so far have been pretty nonsensical, sometimes dark, but always pretty entertaining. Yeah. So, like, let's talk a little bit just quickly about why we did this. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. You and I kind of were just curious to see, I mean, well, for, and you can tell us about AI in, in this respect has come a long way in the in the past year. This is a, a pretty new model we have access to. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like we kind of just wanted to see what it was capable of and where it got problematic and weird. <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, mostly just curiosity. I mean, you came to me with the idea and I had kind of been experimenting with some of these uh, GPT-2, which is the name of the AI uh, type programs for a while. So I kind of wanted to do my own anyway. So it was kind of a good opportunity, I thought. So Nicole, have you seen much of the output from the bot so far? Oh, yes, I certainly have. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely have some favorites. Um, I I kind of like how dark and messed up the bot can get. I like its post-apocalyptic, I don't know, prophecies, if you want to call them. I don't know what they are. But I, I kind of like that side of this bot. <laughs> Um, and there are some that are just like some that are totally nonsense, like where you're like, I, I don't get it. But then there are ones that are like so spot on that you're like, ooh, it's a little eerie. How do you know all this bot? Yeah. So I, I should I, I want to read a few and then we will we have a little piece of audio, uh, a little delightful piece of audio we can play uh, that came about this uh, this past week, too. Um, but to give a few examples. So. And Patrick can tell us more about this, but the the bot has certainly got we we soft launched it back in November. We kind of quietly launched this thing on Twitter, uh, honestly, just to see what it did, and also because we knew it would take a while to train it uh, to bring it up to speed. Uh, Patrick, tell us a little bit about that, like about how you noticed it change from those early. We didn't give it a huge number of data sets early on, so it was kind of struggling a bit. It felt like. Yeah, I think the thing about it is that uh, when it doesn't have that much data, it tends to fill it in. It's also Beyond what we trained it on, it's also trained on, like, the entire internet because of this base model, <laughs> which is called GPT-2. So when it doesn't it have a like ton... It's <laughs> like 8 million, 8 million web pages exactly, right, that yeah. this thing's been trained on. Yeah, so when it doesn't have anything to draw on from our own data, it will just kind of fill in the gaps. So in some ways, the early uh, concepts were a little bit more interesting sometimes just because you never knew where exactly it was going to go with something. Um, but it also does have like a tendency to kind of get lost in lists in some cases or just repeat the same phrase over and over again. 
Uh, but as we tweaked it and as we added uh, more data, I think the data set kind of grew exponentially over the course of this uh, since the soft launch. Uh, it's gotten a lot uh, more coherent and a lot smarter. So uh, I'll read a few. I'll do my best to read these. I have a hard time making it through an entire uh, ad pitch from Super Bowl Bot because I kind of lose it halfway through. I'm not going to lie. I have I have wept openly <laughs> trying to read these things. Like sometimes, like because Patrick posts a bunch of these and then I'll go back through them and there's just something about the ridiculousness of the way that it tries to piece things together. Yeah. And and I just, it's it's right in my humor, like, wheelhouse. And, I mean, for anyone who's kind of looked at, like, when they did those Harry Potter chapters written through, you know, having a, a cell phone just basically keep uh, auto-suggesting the next word or phrase, you know, there's been a bunch of these jokes. Some people may know, and we've already had a few people, like, accuse us of stealing this idea from the, the guy who supposedly fed thousands of Olive Garden ads into an AI and then had it produce scripts. Those were a joke. Like those, those were those were not real. Like the guy was writing satirical. He ended up uh, being hired by Burger King um, and their agency to write fake AI scripts for Burger King, mm. uh, where they did. I think they call it like the Burger Bot. And uh, so you know they're not too far off, but those have been jokes. You know, and and that kind of became a meme. This is a legit AI doing its best, uh, as we always say, to to like try to come up with some some ad pitches. So I've got a few here. I will do my best to read. Uh, my personal favorite is that it came up with a lethal weapon video game, <laughs> which is so timely, <laughs> which consumers are not screaming for a lethal weapon video game adaptation. Uh, it says, this lethal weapon trailer for video game shows two mobsters being held hostage by a maniac and his goons. The weapon, a machete. The animals, ninjas. The goons, eh? <laughs> just pause to say, I love that it follows the goons with A. <laughs> They're not quite sure how to react to a full-on Viking army, but they know they have to get the hell out of Dodge. Wow. There's so much going on there. And <laughs> and I, I, I like how this is a classic example of how the AI kind of starts going down a path and then seems to like open another door and go through it and then get distracted. <laughs> it definitely does that a lot. <laughs> So that's for the Lethal Weapon video game, which I'm sure you will see advertised in this year's Super Bowl. Uh, we <laughs> started testing, letting people give us requests uh, to see if we could prompt uh, the bot. Tell us a little bit about that process. If someone says, oh, can you make an ad for Pepsi or whatever, what what, what do you then do, Patrick? Yeah, basically what we do is just uh, you can only – the only way you can prompt the bot is by uh, putting in the text that you wanted to start with whatever output it uh, produces with. So we usually do like in a Super Bowl commercial for Pepsi, comma, and then it will fill in the rest. Um, and sometimes we can even use like a brand and a celebrity, which are is always a lot of fun. Yeah. So like the more, you know, we have to be careful that we don't get too specific or too, you know, limited, but some of them have been pretty good. Someone, of course, asked us to write a Super Bowl ad for the Popeye's chicken sandwich. And uh, here's what it came back with. In a Super Bowl ad for the new chicken sandwich from Popeye's, an elderly couple fight with a metal chicken named Maurice. Popeye's, <laughs> Popeye's says the sandwich is made with fresh, slow-cooked chicken from Mexico <laughs> that's been coated in, in olive oil and garlic. The breading is a bit chunky, so be warned. <laughs> Jeez. I hope Maurice is okay. 
good old chunky breaded chicken. That one had actually stayed on topic. It, it continued to talk about the chicken sandwich throughout the whole ad pitch. Uh, versus getting like sidetracked about Mexico or whatever, but, <laughs> but you you can tell like it it pulled that in from avocados from Mexico, right? Mm. Uh, like it it kind of you can sometimes you can see these little uh, hints of of you know older uh, of of real ads kind of popping up, and some are some are more obvious than others. Let's listen to so so this I think was the biggest surprise of the week. We launched this this past week. As you're listening to this, we launched the Super Bowl bot and. On day two, like the day after we publicly launched it, Wix, the website design company that people probably know from watching Super Bowl ads, uh, it had actually pitched, Patrick, like two, I think two Wix ads, maybe more, mm-hmm. over the course two, of us yeah. testing it. Because, you know, it's a frequent Super Bowl advertiser. And uh, one of them was pretty dark and negative. And if I remember right, it was about Kristen Shaw being like... Uh, blindfolded and kidnapped <laughs> and like a bunch of other stuff. Um, they they did not pick that one. <laughs> uh, but they did turn one of our scripts into a, a, an actual ad where they, they recorded voiceover based on the pitch and they used some stock art. Uh, you can check it out if you Google Adweek, Wix, Super Bowl bot, some variation thereof. You will find the ad. But let's listen to the, uh, the, the voiceover in its entirety as written by the Super Bowl bot and recorded by Wix. Remember when you could make up anything you wanted on the internet? When Elon Musk convinced Richard Branson and Brian Humphrey to do it with their own free will? Well, they did it with Wix.com. Want to make items like shoes, food, clothes, flowers, socks, flowers, flowers, socks, water bottles, scarves, caps, flowers, flowers, trees, animals, and people simple? Want to take it to the top two? Just write stuff. Patrick, how how did that feel to actually <laughs> see this like psychotic creation of ours like actually being used in a real ad environment? I thought it was pretty amazing. And uh, I mean, it was just really cool to see it brought to life because I think when you're reading through these, sometimes you can you can hear in your head how you think it would sound or how because it has like the cadence and the style of an ad, but to really see it in the actual, like a physical form, it was pretty crazy. In, in um, I should say that in appreciation of all the work Patrick put into launching this, we did ask the bot to write an ad starring uh, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Culp, uh, Adweek tech reporter. Uh, Nicole, do you have it uh, handy that yeah. you could read it to us? Yeah, I'll read it. Um, all right. Be warned. It is, it's a trip. Uh so in a Super Bowl ad, Patrick Kolf, a tech reporter for Adweek, is thrown off a couch while eating a cheeseburger and drinking a 1,000-calorie bottle of Bud Light. He falls into a mutant meat-eating machine and must use that to, his power, to power his lock, rocket launcher. The commercial for Bud Light shows a montage of everything that went into the creation of the burger, including how the meat came to be, which animals gave birth to the hamburgers, and which regions of the world produced the burgers. All right. That's that. Patrick, I think that's a fitting homage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see it. <laughs> the best part is like Bud Light's advertising this seltzer, and they were, they we're like, no, tell us about the 1,000 calorie Bud that Light. Part. Of course, that's Bud it'd Light. Be, yeah. <laughs> so, so, it'd be so much Bud Light. It'd be like the biggest bottle. 
<laughs> All right. So that everyone should check it out. If you're on Twitter uh, or just, you just want to see it in action, it's at Super Bowl Bot on Twitter. All, all one word, Super Bowl Bot. Or you can just Google Super Bowl Bot in Adweek and you can find our coverage of it as well. Uh, huge thanks, Patrick, for uh, all the time he spent building that thing and to all of our fans and readers who have been playing with it and, and requesting it. And go ahead, go on Twitter and ping it and ask for something and we'll do our best uh, to to uh, come up with stuff. But I wanted to leave time to talk about blockchain. So uh, your cover story this past week, uh, as I mentioned, was about the rise and stall of blockchain. This was kind of a preview of CES before it was getting rolling. Um, And I I guess let's just kind of start. What I'm not going to do is ask you to explain what blockchain is, because at this point, I feel like most of us either know or will never understand. Uh, But, you know, many of us know it from through, you know, through the lens of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Uh, and, and its process in there. But blockchain, it felt like was this, uh, you know, what, what what is the term you use in your story, like techno-anarchist or whatever kind of beloved, uh, uh, you, what, what was that oh, term yeah, you Oh, like, uh, yeah, I think t- uh, techno-anarchist or anarcho-technologist, I don't know, something <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like this idea that we don't need governments. We can have our own money that's backed by technology. And I mean, I... Like I'm not necessarily making fun of that, but I do think it's a, there's a bit of a libertarian kind of dream there uh, of having money that's unfettered and having a process that's unfettered by government uh, regulation and oversight. But mm-hmm. what happened last year? Um, well, I think that uh, for better or for worse, the blockchain, the technology that underlies cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency itself, uh, the their fortunes tend to be tied. So uh, cryptocurrency was kind of having a wasn't doing as well as people thought. And I think whether deservedly or not, one of the factors was that uh, blockchain started to kind of flag as well because people associate them, even though blockchain itself is more of a ledger system. Uh, that's one factor. And then I think the, another factor, at least in the advertising and media world, is that uh, in order to have a blockchain in the true sense where it's uh, transparent and all of the parties involved are agreeing on these transactions, um, you kind of have to have the buy-in of the entire industry. And I think that some of these really ambitious uh, startups that set out to change ad tech with blockchain uh, didn't count on like the fact that they would really need to reorganize the industry for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, this goes against so many of the basic, not to say principles, but you know, so many of the the ways that ad tech and advertising in the digital era is set up is so much about private data and personal data and, and associating data with uh, all this information. Blockchain was a completely different concept and, and kind of in a lot of ways seemed to almost go the opposite direction mm-hmm. of the way that the ad industry had been built on the tech side. Yeah, exactly. It seemed like a technical fix for what was really a market problem. Uh, and all, while there are a couple, few, uh, I think there's one company I mentioned in the story, Brave, which was founded by uh, the Mozilla creator Brandon Ike. Uh, that is one of the few exceptions that uh, they're actually they have a so they run a ad blocking browser that operates on this uh, currency cryptocurrency called the Basic Attention Token, and that actually seems to be getting some. Uh, they have some big publishers like the Washington Post involved. Uh, some more and more brands are starting to. Uh, advertise on it and these advertisements are actually they pay the users to watch them and that's how the ad blocking uh, ad interplay works oh man and uh, there's a quote in your story that i'll read because i do think it it sums up the more optimistic 
uh, perspective that, that a lot of the folks you talk to seem to have. Uh, the COO for Medici Ventures, uh, Joel Waite, uh, said, we consider 2019 to be the builder's year. 2018 was kind of the tourist's year. What does he mean by that? Yeah, I think there's this other aspect of it where people, I mean, maybe it just hasn't given the time, been given the time to uh, mature as some of these early uh, predictions for it uh, might have uh, taken a longer runway than it was originally uh, thought. And uh, I think that, I mean, that kind of plays into this whole thing called the Gartner hype cycle, which is something that uh, market researchers talk about in terms of a new emerging technology. And that's where it's very initially, it's like there's all these huge uh, dreams for what it can accomplish, these very overinflated expectations. And then there's something that's called the trough of disillusionment after that, (laughs) which is where those, uh, I mean, those overinflated expectations aren't lived up to in a very short time frame and people kind of are disenchanted with the technology. But meanwhile, the people who are still committed to it are building away and then it reaches some kind of uh, more stable, uh, actual practical use. Yes, my, my my favorite uh, title for that is the trough of despair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you realize, like, oh, this utopian dream we've been selling for a year. Uh, you know, it's like when you when you hear all those arguments about we're pre-revenue, but but soon, man, soon we're going to make <laughs> billions of dollars. <laughs> Once we make one dollar, we'll make we'll make seven million seven billion dollars. Uh, the so you have some interesting numbers in here, just so people don't think we're just saying ah, no one's talking about blockchain, therefore blockchain is dead. Uh, th- there's some pretty firm numbers here. You you quote that um, that the investor funding for the blockchain startups went down almost in half from 4.65 billion in 2018 to just 2.71 billion in 2019. I mean that is a that is a precipitous drop in investment. So I mean, how much how much do you feel like that says about the blockchain versus what that says just about how investors can be kind of flighty in what what they see as like a hot trend to be investing in? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think investors did kind of understand blockchain more, understand what it could do and what it couldn't do. And then there is, of course, they're like anyone else. They're, uh, they follow the media. They uh, buy into the buzz and kind of lose uh, faith in the buzz just as everyone else does. So uh, there is also that element of it as well. The the other thing that you mentioned in your story, which uh, really I keep, I keep thinking back on, is that the emerging jobs report on LinkedIn uh, noticed that, that the number one emerging job was blockchain developer. Where did it land on the list in 2019? Nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not on the list. (laughs) Completely absent, yeah. Yeah, so it's just that idea that I'm fascinated by this. Like anytime a platform comes along so much that people flock to LinkedIn to update or to to pivot their careers toward it, and then a year later it is just almost – gone to me that that one is almost more telling than the investment dollars just you know what i mean mm-hmm. like because yeah i think there was a lot of things like that i mean like 2018 was really peak blockchain buzz like there was like i think five panels at advertising week on blockchain alone and then this year there was zero hmm. um wow. at io uh ad tech io i think or no it was one of the big ad tech conferences there was four panels in 2018 zero this year hmm. so it really dropped off the map yeah so you know, where would you say 2020 and the, and the next few years are going to, uh, how are they going to compare? Is it going to continue to drop off, but you think the technology still has potential? I mean, there are quite a few people in your story still saying, oh, I'm bullish. You know, I, I think this thing's got a strong future. It's just that it's not 
you know, as, as buzzworthy as it used to be. What, what's your take after all this reporting? Yeah, I think that for the people who are still committed to it like that, like a lot of the people I talked to in my story, they're still going to kind of uh, kind of work away like that guy said the um, – it's, it was the tourist year, then the builder's year, and I think they'll uh, kind of go back to how it was before this whole hype cycle happened and when it was kind of a smaller, more insular community of evangelists. Uh, and I think that uh, they'll just keep plugging away, and then at some point maybe we'll see the dividends of, dividends of that in terms of uh, a more robust blockchain infrastructure, or maybe it will just be behind the scenes as it kind of continues to be a uh, places that are using it as a ledger technology already. Well, thank you so much, Patrick Holp, uh, Emerging Tech Reporter here at Adweek, for making time for us. I encourage everyone to check out Patrick's cover story in Adweek about uh, the rise and stall of blockchain and then also uh, the Super Bowl bot, uh, which you can find on Twitter. You can just Google it and find wherever. Uh, what I think is interesting, this is a real side note, but our audience might appreciate this, is, is uh, some people have asked me about, oh, is it on Instagram? <laughs> And like Patrick and I have had a bit of a problem with that. <laughs> it's 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 interesting it, to me. It it highlights that Twitter is a bit more. Uh, f- I don't know what's the word forgiving, welcoming, uh, open, <laughs> open source. I don't know to like letting you try really weird stuff and not you know you'll get the occasional cease and desist, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we we didn't have any trouble getting this thing going on Twitter. We tried making it on Instagram and like every version of it just gets shut down. Really? You know? And and Twitter, uh, Instagram's not uh, tremendously um, transparent about why they're, why they're doing it. Huh. Right, right, Patrick? It was basically just telling us because I tried it a few times and Patrick tried it a few times. And basically, no matter what we called this thing, it seemed to give us errors and it seemed to say like you were in violation of our terms. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. Nothing so. else. That's so so weird. it just goes to show, like, like, I don't necessarily blame them for not wanting bots and trademark usage and stuff on the platform. But uh, it's just kind of it was an interesting state of social media where, like, Twitter's like, sure, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> Go nuts with your bot. <laughs> but we are uh, trying to get that set up on Instagram. So we will let you know if we uh, get it going there. But check it out. Patrick, thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you. And Nicole, always a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. We will have uh, Co-M, our uh, usual co-host. We'll be back soon, but we're always looking for excuses to get Nicole on here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, always happy to come by. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, This week's episode was produced by Co-M with production assistance from Josh Rios and editing by Lane McGivney. If you have not already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews uh, make us feel better and also help new listeners discover the show. Uh, And you can drop us a note anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.